it's ultimately about us taking responsibility for our life, our nervous system, our relationship with social media and our phones, where we're looking for approval, where we're hiding. Like it's about us taking responsibility. And that's why I had to turn social media off for a while because I needed to go through that process in a way that was private. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello, Almost 30 Nation. Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. Almost 30 is a community of dreamers. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, Mm. but we always... (laughs) I feel like, hey, everyone needs to stop using the word dreamers mm-hmm. so we don't get sick of it. <laughs> but you are. You're dreamers. You're curious. You're, you inspire us every day and you're funny. You're so and funny. You got so much stuff going on and we feel that too. And we've just found that like a community to lean on and talk about real shit to get through it in the best way possible is really the secret sauce. 100%. To live in that good life. We've been we've been doing community for years. <laughs> we've been doing tours for years. For years. <laughs> two years. It. Two years now. <laughs> two years, lots of years. Two years, lots of years. Uh so I have a question. So what would you do? So I want to hear your guys' feedback. If someone texts you a number you don't know mm. and they say, "Hey, it's X name. I would love to talk to you about your move from uh, LA versus NYC and to pick your brain. My thing, you don't know who they are right now because no. you don't know their number. They I gave usually, the, they gave the name, but I don't know the name and the number. Like I, I, I don't know who that person is. I usually do the, Hey, I got a new phone and yeah. I'm so sorry. Like I have a few friends named blank. Totally. It's really a cop out and they know you're lying, but you just go with it anyway. I know because what else are you going to say? Or you just give them the advice yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. And then just kind of pray for like, hey, I hope I see kind of who it is on Instagram or something when they I, say, I I'm moving. <laughs> I know. I, I kind of want to maybe do that. That happens a lot to me because I'm really bad Call with me saving crazy, But numbers. I think you should do last names. Call me crazy. Absolutely. I, I think everyone should give a last name. Absolutely. I do that to my mom. Hey, it's Lindsay Simpson, your daughter. Honestly. No, for real. I think you got to be doing a last name. That's interesting. I know. I, I, I get that from like... I kind of... It just is hard because I, I... I don't know. I don't... I don't talk to my friends even. Totally. And I want to talk to my friends over yeah. someone's number I don't know. <laughs> I have this one... I swear to you, it's probably six, seven years old. A, a customer from when I used to work in the bars... We never fucked or hooked up or anything like that. It was never weird like that. But like, he'll text me 
every time he's in LA, like we're best friends. Hey, Lindsay, what's going on? Like I'm in LA, would love to see you. As if I saw him last time he was in LA. (laughs) As if I answered him last time. (laughs) Never answered him. It's actually rude by now. I'm very rude in this instance, but like I, I... never ever answer him, but he keeps texting. It's like one of those like memes where you just see like the one person talking and no one responds. A hundred percent. I know. I'm not really sure what to do. And then I also had um, the guy that works at my Volkswagen dealership where I get my car fixed texting me and he goes, Hey, Krista, great to see your almost 30 name on the mind pump podcast. I can't wait to give it a listen. Dude, the world is so small. I know, but it comes from that automatic text message, like oh, I get that too. Number from the dealership, so yeah. it's funny that it's coming from him through the dealership. But it was, it was so funny. I was like, "Thanks, Matt." He's like, "I thought I knew that name." I'm like, "Yeah, man." Holy hell! I know. Yo, it it actually makes my day when unexpected people are listening to the podcast. I know. I actually got. I went to go to my place, my colonic place, Gentle Wellness, which is amazing. It's on a. It's in LA and it's so funny. They have like these like corny ass signs on the wall that are like, if you think you can, you will. Totally. And like It's like Mark 219, like Bible quotes and stuff. And it's like where you're honestly like shitting your brains mm-hmm. out. Like, it's so funny. But my girl there, she's awesome. But she always talks about people that we have had on the show. She's like, I, yeah, I follow this person, this person, this person. She's like, yeah, I know. I think they're associated with you guys, and, but never listens. And it's kind of like rude. I'm like, should I invite you to listen? You know, she's so like, weird. oh, I know this person and this person. Oh yeah. And I also love this person. I listen to this person, this person. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Like we're, we're, you know, in the same, in the same vibe. She's like, I know you talked to them too. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, but also if you don't want to listen to our show, you don't want to listen respect. To true. respect, respect, I respect you. Yeah. We, there should be a PSA on not buying those fucking quote things anymore. I know. Well, it's a home goods move, you know, like oh. people are like, Oh, okay. So I have a new office or I have a new space or a studio or whatever. Like I'm going to go to home goods and get some art. Honestly, I'm like, which like, I love home goods by the way. So fine. Yeah. Home but it's like, it's like the, the quote thing is like, I used to do that when I was like 12 and like in my room, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Like I have this inspiring quote on my wall, but like, no, I know it's like, and especially at a place where you get colonics and it says like live, laugh, love or on over the, you or on the pillow or something. I know on the pillow too. Mm. I know. Anyway. And on the podcast with uh, mind pump. So if you guys uh, don't know, we were on the mind pump podcast recently and we're, you know, friends of theirs and I just love them. I get so much energy being around them just for the simple fact that they're so authentic in themselves and mm. grounded and they just don't give a fuck. And I appreciate that so much and I can learn a lot from them. So we were on their podcast and I was listening to it because, you know, I love them and it, we did it so long ago. So I wanted a refresher and it's also good for me to hear things that I say and things that I, the way that I talk, like there are th- things that I learn about my communication and same and stuff. So, you know, it's always good for that. Like I was listening, I'm like, ah, it was funny. Like at points I was like, oh, please don't fucking talk again. Like I was just like cringing. I'm like, please don't talk again. But then sometimes, you know, you say stuff and you're like, okay, I actually, I stand for that. Like I, that respect with Mm -hmm. that. But we talked a lot about um, the feminine and the masculine and relationships. And that was such a refreshing conversation, especially to have with them. And it got me thinking again about that and, you know, hopefully bringing more relationship conversations to the pod soon. Yeah, I 
really love talking to guys about this stuff because you like you and I could talk to a fucking blue in the face. We could talk to our community, other women, but I really, to see their faces, to hear their opinions on it is super refreshing and just brings me back to what's real and like the present in a way, you know what I mean? And to know that aspects of both the masculine and feminine activate the opposite sex or, you know, your partner in different ways is, is interesting to think about. So, you know, to think about like when I'm in my masculine or when we're in our masculine, like in business and how and when do we turn that off? But when does that really could get our partners going and to see that from afar and it was just really interesting and, and um, permission giving in a way because I don't think I have that dance down. I don't think I'm really good at that yet, but to know that they're also playing with it is like, is very cool. Yeah, I think they're a little, I don't know if every guy is though. No, you know, but no. But it's funny <laughs> for me, like I was talking about how me being able to be into my feminine has been such a benefit to my relationship with Justin. It it has. It's been, you know, a total game changer. But I could tell like the past couple of weeks I've been not slipping out of it, but I've been kind of a little bit more masculine. And last week he was like asking me to be sweet. He's like, whenever whenever I'm out of my feminine, he doesn't Justin doesn't realize it, but he'll be like, Can you please be sweet? Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, You need sweet reform. He's like, You need he's like, you need to enroll in the B-Suite Academy and I'm going to be your professor for the B-Suite Academy. He'll be the trunchbull of the B-Suite Academy. I'm going to be your professor for the B-Suite Academy and you need further education on how to be sweet. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm enrolled at the B-Suite Academy and Justin's teaching me how to be a sweet girlfriend. I'm like, (laughs) literally want to jump off a cliff. But um yeah, the that what I was talking about on the Mind Pump podcast was that within my relationship with Justin is my not forcing, not pressing, showing rather than saying, you know, or or doing, sorry, doing per se, doing rather than just saying or commanding or directing has been, you know, hugely beneficial within my relationships, within my relationship and the results that I've seen with Justin and not uh you know, being forceful, not being directive, not being commanding and and letting him come to solutions and conclusions on his own after I just share my thoughts in a less emotional way has been really beautiful. Yeah. I'm I've been thinking about that a lot and how how you can communicate without shining a light on something that you feel they're not doing right. You know, and whether it's Say they do it in a small way and it's positive reinforcement. So you say like, I really loved when you like called me the other day out of the blue that like made me feel a certain way, right? Or it's, I loved when you did this, you know, it's, it's just an interesting thing to think about because for me, feedback, like I'm, (laughs) it's almost like I'm overdoing some of those things or like, on, on on some accounts, right? This like is the mental gymnastics that women go through. Literally. <laughs> Yo, it's crazy. It's, it's fucking wild. Yeah. We go through mental fucking gymnastics. Yep. Not only are we doing our own shit, but we're doing their shit for them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've noticed how much I've taken on of like other, and you do it. You, you are this way too, because we're empaths in this way. And a lot of, I know a lot of our listeners are too. It's like, 
you know, I take on their mood. I take on where they're at. And I kind of like, I don't embody it, but I'm just like, so in their head, I'm like, so if they're thinking this and like, what are they going to think if I say this and and bring it to them like that? It's like, whoa, I, I don't think it's that complicated, but I do think the approach can be a lot more feminine. You know, I think the planning out of a conversation is not, is masculine right? Like the, the, okay, so then I'm going to say this and I'm going to, you know, direct him to this example. It's so masculine. So like, I'm thinking more when I have these conversations, when I'm dating someone like, you know, not having it planned out and just letting it be kind of like fluid, like, Hey, I'm just like, this is on my mind. And like, I don't know what you think of this, but I'd love, I'd love to talk about this, you know, because, you know, I loved when you did this and it made me feel this way. And I just want more of that. So like, I'm sorry, I'm not being articulate about it, but like I really, you know, just like being a little less planned and like, oh, I've thought about this for two weeks. Yes, (laughs) and this is like what I want out of this. And something that I think has been very interesting to look at within any relationship that I've had now, knowing this information is related to a lot what John Wineland says. And then also Shaman Durek, when he talks about men being linear and then women being like multidimensional. So that's like with the multitasking, like our ability to multitask. That's why we can, you know, we're doing a hundred things. We can be a hundred places at one time in our mind and, you know, juggling everything. And men are more singularly focused. So they're focused on their career at one time. They're focused on their family at one time. Not that I'm saying that they're like more, and I don't mean that in a degrading or a demeaning way in the Mm -hmm. fact that they can only focus on one thing at one time, but it just seems like they aren't as, I don't know how to describe it. Like in my experience in the relationships that I had, I have assumed that they are as multidimensional as we are and that they can be doing career, friends, family, side hustle all at the same time with as much gusto as we have. But it really seems like they are best when they are having one conversation with one person at that time, you know, focusing on the basketball game, focusing on their work. And they do it so beautifully in such an amazing way. But I just never put two and two together. And now that I think about it that way, I'm able to bring to the table one conversation at a time, one example for something at a time, one idea at a time, one trip at a time, one, you know, next step in our life at a time. And it's made things so much easier. Yeah. I think about too, you said John Wineland, I know we bring him up a lot, but for a reason, he was talking about expressing these emotions of anger, frustration, sadness, neglect, whatever the feeling is through your heart rather than through your mind. And I think that is super feminine. You know, it is, you know, it is talking about this while you have your hand on, you're sitting on his lap and you're kind of like hand on his face. And it's just like, it's coming from love and like the heart space. And it's like still ooey gooey and, rather than distance and pointing fingers and it be super sharp. It's just like, it is creating a safe space for them to see you and also see themselves as maybe needing to improve in that way and not being ashamed. You know, I think guys just fucking close up and get ashamed and I get it. Cause I think the way in which like, at least in my experience, if I explain something, it is kind of like so heady and thought out and crazy, not crazy, but just that. And 
And it can be intimidating. Yeah. You know, and they're like, I don't want to, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, and I, I get it. So yeah, coming from that heart space. Yeah, I think that's the whole difference. And that's the whole the whole point really is that when it's coming from the directive controlling space, it's coming from a fear space. And if it's coming from a vulnerable space of honesty, then that's when it's coming from the heart. So there's vulnerability and honesty, and then there's controlling and directive, and that is coming from fear. So when we're looking at how a man's going to receive it, he's obviously going to receive, not obviously, but for the most part, he's going to receive the love in, in a much more open way than he would anything else. And and women are like that too. You know, friends are like that too. Family relationships are like that too. Although it's so hard to approach everything from a vulnerable, open place of love all the time. That's really, you know, the goal that you would aspire to, to have. Yeah. So I want to talk more about this, like in the, in the secret Facebook group for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how we got here, but yeah. Well, Mind Pup episode, definitely check that out. Let us know what you think. We really love hanging out with those guys. Uh, I think we have a similar style of just, you know, riffing, riffing, shooting the shit, but we love the Mind Pump guys. So check out their podcast and let's talk about that masculine feminine balance and dance and all the things, ways in which it's working for you to slip into your feminine and how it's hard for you. We want to hear it all. So join the secret Facebook group. Let's chat about it. All right. Today on the podcast, we have Peter Kelly. Oh, this one. The homie. The homie. We recorded this in London, which was really fun to do on the road and be able to catch her in now her hometown. It's home for her right now. She just moved to London not too long ago. And what I love about PETA in this particular context of being in a new place, she really just, she like fills the space. You know, she's able to like plant herself somewhere and not look at like what's not working for her and how it's not say her homeland of Australia. She was really, I don't know. It taught me something about changing environments and being flexible and fluid and like the way her life is going and knowing that this is a really purposeful time and knowing that her type of work is needed there. And it wasn't like an ego thing. It was just like, I really want to like have this conversation with women here and Loved it. Yeah. There's such a beauty to her flexibility with her life. And, you know, she says it herself, but you see it as the humanness with it. Cause we, as humans are not one thing. We are not good. We are not bad. We are not here. We are not there. We are kind of looking for ways to put labels on ourselves, put labels on our relationships in various parts. And she just kind of breaks everything down and just really focuses on what matters. You know, what matters is, your soul. What matters is your soul's expansion and your soul's growth and doing whatever you can to make that happen and to facilitate and nurture that. And doing it in a way that's not perfect. And that is so you, you know, she's really about not doing things the way that we're told they need to be done or what everyone's doing when it comes to motherhood, when it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to creativity and self-expression, she's just doing it how she wants to do it in the moment. There's yeah. like really no rules and it's Big it's baller. really cool. Big baller. Her book Earth is Hiring is one of my favorite books it's, I've ever it's read. It's a crazy it's it's a crazy amazing book. It's it's such a good book. Yeah, it's a it's really playful. It's yeah. really a conversation about the new way to live. Lead, live, lead, earn and give. And it sounds like a new way, but it's really like kind of making the ancient ways just really modern. And uh, I've given it to a lot of people as gifts and they've really loved it. It's a fun, fun read. 
Yeah. We're so excited to share this episode with you. We talked about motherhood. We talked about that journey that she's been on. We talked about how she's evolved spiritually in the past couple of years since writing her book, running her businesses. We talked about how she's managed to switch gears from being a hardworking entrepreneur in all of her twenties to really embracing motherhood and family and this new version of herself and being proud of the evolution that she's made. And it's you know, super deep, super raw, super authentic, and um, really was such a joy to be a part of. Yeah. I loved when she talked about kind of like the, she's always like kind of talking about her current dogma and like what she's breaking. Literally the last time we saw her, you know, she was in cacao ceremonies and she talked about kind of how that's changed for her and how that ceremony isn't as relevant to her now or as fulfilling. So I just love that because sometimes I feel shameful when totally I do. give something up totally and I'm like, do. oh, this isn't working for me anymore. And she's yeah. like, yeah. Uh. Also too. Yeah. And also too, to that, I have been thinking about lately since with that, this isn't something that she does. This is something that I do. I distance myself from that version of me and I kind of shame that version of me with that information. Mm. You know, and, and it's like, so if I'm like, oh, yo, like Krista in Cincinnati was like tanning and she was like a huge fucking loser and like all this stuff. It's almost like shaming and distancing myself from that version of me, but time is an illusion and we're all existing at this time. So right. being more thoughtful and more patient to that version, but PETA is super kind to all version of herself or she, you know, has the goal to be. But I think that's a beautiful point. Yeah, you can go to our website, petakelly.com, P-E-T-A-K-E-L-L-Y.com. Her Instagram is petajean, J-E-A-N underscore. Uh, and I highly recommend following her. She's not on consistently, which is real nice. And she just like hops on when walk it walk, means baby. something. So enjoy this episode. We love you, Peta. Thank you for coming on the show. And we love you all. Thank you for supporting, subscribing, rating, rating and reviewing, joining the secret Facebook group, coming to our events. We're on tour this year. You can check all of that out on almost30podcast.com. Yeah. The second leg is almost sold out. So hey. go to almost30podcast.com to get tickets. Make sure they are still available in the city that you are. We would love to see you. Yeah. All right. We'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. Have you watched Lunatics on Netflix? Yes. yes. Which one do you like? <laughs> the real estate agent. Yeah. Uh, Rex. <laughs> Quentin Cook. Re- yes. Of uh, Rex and real me estate. My brothers, we have uh, yeah. large asses. And, uh, <laughs> but that's exactly like, he's nailed that. Nailed. Character. He's like, they won't let me vape. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was talking about when he went to the bar with the chicks and he hits on the girl. He's like, yo, what's up? And then he came back. He's like, she's a fucking bitch anyway. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, he he really he really knows. I've seen him in the street a couple of times. Once when I was nineteen, and I ran up to him and got a photo. I was like, "Oh my god, Chris!" And then once, like, just recently in Sydney, and I was just like quietly whispered under my breath, "Mom, that's Chris," because I've gotten way cooler now. Is he like a, a huge star in Australia? Um, I mean, I think because he has done some quite like risky things. People either like really like him or not. But I I just love people who are willing to be a bit offensive, you know, and and sure, you might not agree with everything like politically or whatever, but I just think that's the only way to be like really funny. I, I don't know. I appreciate it because it is boundary pushing. And, yeah. 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 I mean, he would be a gold podcast guest. I mean, he's like, <laughs> I like the porn star. Yeah, she's There's so many layers to her. Joyce, Jeff, Joyce, Joyce And like the dinner, she's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, okay, you need a key? 
I just paid you Liz. Yeah, yeah. Paid she's you. like, I really need you. <laughs> Dude, she's okay. So many shrines. The layers of it is like porn star so that she has like a, a chauvinistic part of her where she's on the corner and she's like, yeah. don't look at me. You know? But then she also is a hoarder yeah. and that's what you do. You know, yeah. if you have like sometimes totally. like traumatic experiences and it's like PTSD like after being in that industry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just so, that's the thing. Like the message of it is so beautiful. It's like be yourself and, and, and be as weird as you want. But to get that message across, it has to also be entertaining. Like you can't yes. just get up there and yeah. get on your soapbox all the time. Like sometimes to get the message across, you have to push boundaries and be a little bit offensive. And, and I think I am like, it's hard to offend me. So I don't, I might look at something and be like, oh shit, that's, that's risky. I can see how people would get, yeah. get upset about that. But, but I'm just, I can just see the, the bigger picture of what they're actually doing. There is something about someone who's unafraid to be offensive yeah. and like is still like, I feel like he is loving in the way that he portrays yeah. these characters, yep. but like, isn't worried about who's watching. Yeah. He's just like, I have a responsibility to these characters. And if you don't like them, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. And there's like a, like a human aspect to all of them. You know, yeah. you see the humanity mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. all of them too. Like the one, the girl at the college that yeah. has the social media Becky? following Becky. Beckonators. And it made so much sense to me. The Beckonators. What's up, Beckonators? She's like, crafty corner. Um, and it just makes so much sense to me because I'm like, oh, there are people in the world that she felt left out in college. Exactly. She didn't felt accepted, but she found a place online where she felt mm-hmm. accepted and seen and supported. And, you know, who is to say that that doesn't translate in your life as real mm-hmm. support as the feeling of yeah. real support. So it was yeah. like, I was like, oh, understanding that, like mm-hmm. the beauty of online and finding mm-hmm. a community online like she had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's like Ricky Gervais. Yeah. He, that's why I love him so much because he believes in freedom of speech. Like freedom of speech doesn't mean you say things because you know, people are going to agree. It means you say exactly what your truth is no matter what. And I think everybody is highly offendable now and it, you know, it's it it's blocking people from actually saying what they think. And that's why when I watch someone like Ricky Gervais, you know, some people are like, I can't believe you find him so inspiring. And I'm like, no, I really do. Like out of anyone in the world right now, he inspires me more than most people, not just because of like things like afterlife, but just the, just, just his, uh, just like how sure he is in what he believes, regardless of the fact that millions of people don't believe that. And that's the only way we can really live if you think about it. Especially if you're going to make epic shit for the world, like you can't, you you cannot have the slightest bit of people pleasing you. I don't mm. think. How did you get rid of that? Did you ever have that people pleaser? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Peter's like no. <laughs> came, out the womb. came out the womb. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I I think I did. So I think I I wasn't like a straight up people pleaser. I think. My version, like my form of it, was in a sense of responsibility to others. So I think I didn't, I never used to say things to please people or do things to please people. It was more that I felt like a lot of it was my job my whole life. And it's something I've only just really come out of. So, you know, I I would be like the kid at parties. I can never drink soft drink or soda growing up. I still to this day have never tasted Coca Cola. And it's, you know, I had KFC and everything. It's not like I was bubble wrapped, but. I just never wanted it. And so I'd be the kid at the party to be like, I'm not drinking that. And I took my own chalk milk. So I was always, you know, the kid who could speak up for what they wanted and not just be like, I'll have it just because everyone else is having it, you know, and always kind of did things my way. But then my side of people pleasing, like I said, was 
oh, but I've got to help everyone because I can. It's my job. Like I've, you know, that's what I'm here to do. And that is just as draining and life-sucking as just straight up people-pleasing. It, You know, it's, so that was my, my that's been my work. Lately. And it showed up like with the veganism or where did that show up? Like where you were protective <sighs> of other people like that? Just everywhere, even even as a kid. So I think I was born, I was born to a single mom of four children and my mom and dad separated when I was four. Um, and that was when my younger sister was about to be born. And I always felt, I actually saw when I was really little, I saw my mom miscarry twins. So she, this was after I was born, before my next sister was born. And my dad wouldn't have been home. And I was a tiny little person who's just started walking. And, and I remember my mom was in the bath and and I stood at the door and she was, she tells me the story about how I keep trying to tell you to go to bed. She obviously couldn't just get up, but I was like standing there like, no, no mom, like I want to be here with you. And I just, and my mom always said it about me too, but I always just assumed like a leadership role from even when I was a kid, like everything in school, everything in sport, it, it was always like, I'll do it. It's my job. It was, it was just something that was always really in me. So then, you know, at school, I'd be like, <laughs> which could have been a little bit narcissistic as well, just quietly. But I was like, guys, I'm doing the school project. You just put your names on it. Because like, if I was paired with people who were like underperformers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> group projects for that reason. Yeah, I was like, guys, yeah. you just fucking do whatever you want on the weekend. Give it to me. Put your names on it. Because I'm not going to risk you <laughs> messing with my diorama. But then, yeah, as I, as I grew up, it just became as I started to create my own wealth, I started to feel like I had to take care of literally every, every single thing that came my way at everything, anyone who needed anything, I would, I would feel, and that that's great because it's a, such a nice sense of social responsibility and generosity, but it, it comes a point where it's, it's just not great. It's just not healthy. And I feel like there's a, it, it can be seen as quite heroic. Like I'm so responsible. I'm so generous. I'll take care of people, rah, rah. But there's an element of narcissism in it. If we think that everybody needs us, you know, and we are so needed by everyone. And if I stop doing this, like, you know, and I would never identify as someone who had those traits, but we have to look at it. Like if I really feel like everybody needs me all the time, like, and people can't fucking survive without me. What is that saying? So that's been my work ever since I became a mom and, even before that, is just just slowly unraveling this sense of that it's all my job because it's just not, you know. And that's that's been the hard thing for me because it's it's very natural for me to be like, I'll do it, you know, it's fine, I'll I'll do it, I help there, and and that's what I love about myself. But like I said, there's a line where it's life sucking. It really mm. is. What what's happened since becoming a mom? Since being like called a mom and mm. was there any like did you feel any pressure any eyes on you where and then you started to act a certain way in order to satisfy the title mom or like how has the evolution been as a mother especially in the first <sighs> just year? so wild and I'm still like so in it but so when Saul was born I mean I was the the pregnant person who I went off social media like four to six weeks before she was born. I had affirmations all around my home. We had a home birth. I had quite strong boundaries up. I set myself up to not have to to go back to any form of my work for at least three months and really 
really entered motherhood in a, a gentle, natural way. You know, we had a home birth, we breastfed on demand all the time. And and then I went back into editing my book, Earth is Hiring, when she was really small. I published it when she was small. And then she came on my book tour with me, which was a really low-key book tour, like by many people stand. It was six cities and it was cities we were already going to. But my, I mean, she had already been to like, I don't know, an outrageous number of cities and countries by the time she was one. And so for me, I had this part of me that was like yearning to just take a break from all of my creativity, but there was a part of my womb that still had work to do in terms of completing Earth is Hiring. So I was just really in that dance of like, you know, I know that my greatest opportunity and my biggest priority is to be at home with soul and immersed in the intimacy of motherhood. It's not just being a mom and breastfeeding and and doing the bath and buying the clothes and playing. It's not just that. It's like immersing in the intimacy of it, like being there for the small moments when, like, where all your other life and identity melts away, and you are you are mum and. That, that was my biggest work. And so it took me a while to like, like, again, I never missed a bath. Like soul was always with me, breastfeeding on demand, like so, such a present mum. But there was that little part of me that was still, still creating and serving in the way I was before becoming a mum. And, and it took me some time to unwind my nervous system, to give myself permission to to take a break from that so that I could do my real work, which is, again, be in the intimacy of motherhood, not, not try and spread myself thin, not try and maintain my life before motherhood, not any of that, just really humble myself and my ego and and pay attention to where my greatest work was. And that was in, in my home, like creating, tending to the fire in my home and the intimacy of my marriage and the intimacy of motherhood because as someone who is such like creating and working is so effortless for me. Like I can write a book in a weekend and that that's the part of my part of me that is so easy that that for me coming to motherhood, that was also the part of me that I where I could hide. Like I have so much work to do. I have so much so many things to do. So when when perhaps, you know, I was being really challenged like in the in the the non-stopness of the first year, I could, oh, but I have this to do. I have work to do. And that doesn't mean that I was ever like not with soul. Like I said, I only had my first weekend away with her now and she's almost two. I was always there, but it was, it was not, it's hard to explain. It was just the, the allowing. Am I going to allow myself to, to, to truly humble myself into this time and not feel like everything else is so significant. And there's so many people out there who need me like my child does. And so it wasn't an instant thing when Soul was born for me. It took time and it took a lot of, you know, we've got so many wounds in our lineage that we're healing and that that happens so rapidly when we have a kid. Every milestone, getting married, getting pregnant, giving birth, you know, breastfeeding, every milestone we have as 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 a woman, as a man, it triggers whatever our ancestral lineage also experienced. So it was such a process for me to, to settle into motherhood in the way that I truly wanted to. From the outside in, everyone was like, you are such a great mother. You're such a natural mother. You're such a present mama. You're balancing everything. You've done your book tour. And, that, and yeah, I could appreciate that I was doing a really good job at 
at balancing my life and still being there for my family. However, on the inside, I was still I was still feeling like I had work to do and I I was still giving too much outside my home at a time where it wasn't as aligned for me to do so. So over the months and over the months, I just had those realizations. And it was, I remember sitting up in bed one night crying and just being like, I am so tired of, I'm just so tired of not giving myself like a fucking break from, you know, I I had all the self-care rituals in place. Like, I mean, the water I drink is pristine. The food I eat is all organic. I will always be seeing bodywork people and healers like, Structurally, I set myself up to thrive, but it was these pulls inside of me that were just relentless, just relentless. I'll create this because I can. I'll give to this because I can. And and in the meantime, here's my soul being like, I know that you're like really fucking hot creatively, like you can do anything and all of that, but there is time still for that. And this, this time in your life, like you're just being called to the, the thanklessness and the the humility and this this time in your life that you're not going to get back and you know so it's it's been such such a such a process again I'm still in it now like right now I'm with soul almost all the time and I'll if I have something really fucking swirling in me I'll step out to create it and get the help I need if if I want to go to a Pilates I'll do that but I've really I suppose I've really humbled myself now to the point of I can create anything. And I did, I've always had a really great work ethic. However, I did set myself up financially in my 20s so I can enjoy this time. And I'm not going to get to 40 or 50 and regret that I didn't do this work to be the really intimate mom that I'm like yearning to be. And that did require sacrifice. It did require stepping off social media and not getting into the race of the personal development world of you've got to make this, you've got to stay relevant, you've got to grow your following. I just stepped out from all of that because I was like, you are not going to consume me and you're not going to rob me of what I know to be my work. And regardless of what every other mum, whatever journey other mums are on. Like I said, some mums are meant to be grinding and they want to be grinding when they're like, whatever, everyone's different. I can only speak for me. And so I just had to just, yeah. And and it's, it's been like the the deepest work I've, I've ever done. Mm. It's beautiful to talk to someone who's like still in it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's Mm. really beautiful to hear you go through it. Something I wanted to talk about was um, the healing of lineages, Mm -hmm. lineages. Mm -hmm. So, a little bit explaining more of what that means and then what have you done before soul when mm-hmm. you were pregnant and then through this to help you really mm-hmm. work through that. So what I understand about and my experience with our ancestral lineage and particularly as a woman, our matriarchal lineage is my mom, my nana, my nana's mom and however far long we want to go, all had experiences and wounds that if they weren't healed are passed along, like past the parcel. And you know, I've been doing work with this on with with different healers and really having conversations with my mom about what life was like for her and what what life was like for my nana. And I know my mom's okay with me sharing this because I got a permission to put it in a book. But my mom was born out of wedlock in the 1950s to my nana, and her dad, a Greek man, 
his family made him flee before my mum was born. So my mum was born out of wedlock to a single mum in the 1950s, which, as you know, is a no-no in so many places. And my nana, being the scared scared young woman that she was, hid my mum in her coat and hid her in her coat her entire pregnancy. And her intention was that she would give birth to my mum in the single women's hospital, but that's when babies get taken away from you. And that's the only option she thought she had. She, she was just carrying so much shame in her in her womb that she felt like that was essentially what her womb was for. It was for giving the baby, giving it up, but that she but that her womb was dangerous for her. And ever since then, she actually shut down her sexual energy from that day. My mum didn't end up getting taken away. My mum's grandparents, my nana's parents said, we're going to take her into our family and raise her in our family, but we're going to raise her as the parents because that's the only way she's going to get into school is if she has Catholic school, is if she has two parents. We're going to be really elderly parents, but we're her parents and you, my nana, you're her sister. And the reason they did that, going more back into the lineage, was because my nana's mum, so going back one further step, had lost two babies and an adult son. So she had lost three Mm. children who died. And so she was like, we're not losing another child. So she had this fear around losing children. My nana had this fear around losing her child but felt she had no choice. And then my mum was born and and hidden in a coat the whole time she was in the the whole time she was in the womb and then born and and intuitively knew that she was abandoned she knew that and she knew she had old grandparents and then at my mum's wedding to my dad she needed her birth certificate so my nana had written her a letter telling her everything that happened she planned to give it to her when she died she had to give it to her at her wedding which said this is what happened this is what your dad left and I'm your mom. And so when we were growing up, we were really close to my nana, but we mum called her Jean and she never called her mom. And we were always like, Mom, why, why don't you call Nana mom? Like she's mom. And and mum told me the story when I was really young, because like I said, I was that kid out of the four of us. I was the one who was like, everyone do the fucking dishes. Like <laughs> we have to help mum, you know. And that was why I ended up retiring her a few years ago, because I've always felt that responsibility for her the same as she felt the responsibility for her for her mum. So there's a lot there that was unhealed, unaddressed, w- wounds that bless their brave, brave and courageous souls. They didn't have the tools to heal. So then I am the first female in my in my family. So I was my mum's firstborn daughter and I have two younger sisters. So I am carrying a lot of that. And so when it came time and but when it comes to birth, so my mom had four natural births and she spoke really beautifully of that. So my, in terms of birth programming, I had nothing but nature and, and health and, and beauty and miracle. But there was so much else, the fear of losing a child, the, the feeling of that, that's, that's what our wombs do. And just there, there was just so much, there was just so much there that's still there. Now as I'm becoming a mom, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. And I have so much respect and so much respect and love for the women in my lineage and the, the bravery that it took for, for me to even be born. You know, what they had to go f- through for me to even be alive today. And that's why I, 
you know, that's why people are like you you speak so highly of your of your mom and your nana and they're my two favorite people on the fucking planet, you know, aside from Saul and Eric, but those four. And this is why it was so important to me to retire my mom and give her a break because I just yeah, I have a lot of shit to heal, but I just have so much reverence for for the fact that thank God I have the tools to heal it for for my children and and I'm doing it every day. I've got a bunch of different people supporting me and a lot of it is just is just really open conversations with my husband and he's so there like as the most like he is so proud that he has the job of healing the man image in my family. Like he is he mm. takes it in his stride. He's he loves it. Like he's like I, I mean get emotional even talking about it, but he's just like, I I know how I'm here to love you and to do it for your mom and your nana and mm. to, for soul. So it's just like this is why when when I step off social media, I'm like, you know, you like I just I don't know, it's it, it's it becomes easier because I'm like I'm not passing anything along to my child. And it's not, I'm not in any way like, fuck mom and Nana, why couldn't you hear this stuff? It's just like, thank you for being as brave and courageous and as as loving and generous and, and self-sacrificing as you were so I could be here today and get to live this amazing life. And now I know what I need to do. So it's this sense of like, yeah, maybe I did inherit it, but it's my responsibility now. And it's a very private thing that you, it's not, it's not for the person, it's not for me to put into a course or a content. It's such a private, humble thing that I'm doing for my mom and for my nana and for Bessie, her mom, and for my child. And so, you know, this is why I'm, I'm in such a quiet and private time because a lot of it is coming up and it comes up in my marriage. It comes up as a woman who, who, who I'm telling myself it's okay. It's okay to, to enjoy life. I'm, a, I'm not just here to survive. Like it's just, it's just coming up in every way. And, and one of those ways is, is allowing myself to be in, in intimacy with soul and in a way that I don't think my Nana got to experience with my mom and that her Nana, like, so it's, you know, Mm. everybody has that and there's other people who have it specifically around birth you know they have such deep fears around birth that they inherited they you know you know there's so much to it oh my god there's just so much to it once you open that can it's it's the most liberating thing it's confronting but it's it's super liberating I think the interesting thing too is I was hoping you would talk about Eric because I wanted to (laughs) I know you and Eric are so but the interesting thing is too is like it's, it, what would you suggest I guess for someone that wanted to have a conversation with with their mother or the mm. the women in their family but don't feel that same connection that you do. Mm. So they want to find the information is of mm. their experience and their um, history and kind of their trauma and their wounds. How would you like? How would you suggest that they go about it? Mm. I mean, I I don't think like if I look back at my mom, I don't think she would have had the conversation with my Nana. I think my Nana would have, as close as they were and as much as, because my mum was the only child, we were with her every day. You know, we we grew up with her. My Nana was hilarious. But I don't think that the tools or the, I don't think it would have felt they were able to have that deep conversation. And with with my mum, she's, she's a lot more open. And there's still some things I won't go into, you know, but a lot of, my mum is really open and she's really, she's really open and she's really, 
self-aware in that she she wants for us nothing more than for us to thrive. So she will dig wherever she needs to dig. And, you know, it's not always easy to have the conversations, especially because I know it's digging up a lot for her. And sometimes I also feel the ping of like, holy shit, I'm thriving more than all the other women did. I've, I feel so bad even talk. you know, it's like it's that stuff. But I think the only thing you can do, I suppose, is do your best to have the conversations you can have within the parameter, like within the, I suppose, however it is appropriate in your family. And, and I do feel a lot that sometimes there's charge that needs to be dissolved by an emotional, raw family member who, who does that for the family and who mm-hmm. says, you know, I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but, you know, I want to talk about this. And maybe the mum would be dying to talk about it. You know, I think sometimes our mums or our dads or our grandparents, they're carrying so much that they haven't even been asked about it. And you know what it feels like when you get asked about something that you're healing and you're like, thank God I was asked about this because now I can talk about it. So sometimes it's, you know, it may be like, you know, I I don't know, again, everyone's different, but it may be like, I don't don't know what you want to talk about this or whatever. Or it may Mm -hmm. be like, you know what? let me tell you a story that is going to be really fucking healing for me to share, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. The compassion piece when it, when it comes to like just talking and, and looking at your family in a different light, I mm. think is like, even though it's just a simple shift in perspective to seeing your mother and your grandmother in a different way. And mm. we'd, we, we've been doing some work in that way too. And it just, it's so much healing that happens in that moment, even without the conversation being started. It's like just seeing mm-hmm. them in a different mm-hmm. way. Yeah. I'm also really interested in, you know, you mentioned, briefly mentioned, you know, stepping off of social media. And I'd love to know, you know, the reasons why and also mm-hmm. just how it's how it's helped the healing. Yeah. You know, the healing of the lineage also just you know, being a more present mother besides the obvious, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we've had a conversation off air about people feel this pressure when Mm -hmm. they have kids to maintain this sense of being someone outside Mm -hmm. of being a mother and how that can really sabotage the time that you have in this opportunity in front of you to fully immerse yourself in this new role. So I'd love for you to speak on that. Yeah. And I think the first thing is that I understand that not every mom is in the position to not work. Like I said, my mom was a single mom and she had to she had to work and she was a full-time school teacher. And I understand there are a lot of moms, perhaps single moms, who they're keeping their children alive and they need to work. And so, like, I just want it to be clear that I'm not suggesting moms shouldn't work in any way. It's not in my DNA to suggest that, you know what I mean? Like, come yeah. from a working family. I worked since I was 13 years old. It's, I'm just saying we all need to especially those who are in the position to need to take a look at what we value and and not hide from the work, the work that is the most private, not the work that you is not going to get you likes and shares and the work that is not a pleasing, this inflated sense of significance that we have. And that's what social media does. And, you know, I love social media for so many things. Like, yeah, I jumped off for a couple of month, months and the thing that brought me back on initially was, there was a cause I really cared about and I thankfully had a voice and I could share the petition. And so I so appreciate social media. I'm not at all like anti-social media or anything, but I, I don't think social media is a problem. I think that it's 
it's us and our the way we hide and the way we i suppose get sucked in and wrapped up in in oh, just just all of it so like you it's know the numbing too it's numbing it's numbing and it's we on social media everybody sees what you do and we start to live in a way that you know pleases this image and this identity that we've created for ourselves and then we become really rigid unable to change our mind unable to change our views unable to break our own rules and then we start to live in this inflated sense of significance like i'm so important i have all these you know and it's not to say that our work's not special and we're not important but it's just this it's just this you know this false sense of like i need to be there for my devotees and like i can't take the time that i need to quietly do what I need to do, you know, and there's in the personal development world, I just got so fucking tired of what was being spoken about and the incongruence between how people were, what they were preaching and how they were living and how it, you know, it was people preaching about taking care of yourself and doing the inner work and rah, rah, rah. And yet their nervous system was so wound up. And I know this because it used to be me. Like I'm not having to go at anyone so wound up that they were checking their phone without even fucking knowing about it and being so self-sacrificing but hiding behind this sense of transformational coaching and you know it and so much of it is narcissism so much of it is straight up narcissism but it's covered in I'm a light worker but I care about people I'm I'm coaching people and there's just so much that's going unaddressed and it's going unaddressed because it's not as important as what other people see you know we better we better just take care of our content and our work and our image and our relevance um and I can say I'm a transformation coach and I can repeat the same quotes over and over again and I can do the events and have my you know crystals and this and whatever I can do all of that stuff that people can see but what about what people can't see and it's it's that where people have started to put more of their energy and more of their time and more of their values in in things that are I suppose I don't know perhaps not what their soul is truly wanting from them right now and that's where I was at I was like yeah I can you know make all this stuff and that's great I fucking love people who make great stuff for the world it's not about that but it's you know there's a matrix you know that we all a lot of people in the personal development my favorite word right now (laughs) and my friend Carrie Ann Moss was in the movie no I know she's such a badass every the matrix is my new thing right now yeah so everybody's like you know especially in the self-help spiritual word super proud of not being plugged into the matrix anymore i'm not part of the system fuck the nine to five you know all that but then they're plugged into a whole other matrix this personal development world coaching world social media matrix and it's still got plugs all over their body they're still being vegan because it pleases pleases people they're still you know unable to change their mind rapidly because they've said something the same thing for 10 years so how can I now change it and they're they're just cock blocking their ability to evolve and to enjoy their life and to be a human and to change their mind and change their beliefs because we define ourselves by what's our 160 character bio you know I'm I almost want to just put on my bio like I put there the other day nobody's coach because people keep coming to Damn. me and being like, <laughs> but people keep coming on my post and being like, why aren't you putting a disclaimer here? Like there's going to be people who read this and they're not going to be able to take this advice. And I was like, but I'm not giving anyone advice. Like this is not my job here. Like 
This is an expression. So I felt I felt really challenged with social media lately because there's this all these people who've been following me since oh my God, since back in the freaking day. And I'm just sure I'm that same person, but my views, what I believe in, who I am, it's like night and day. And so, you know, there's this energy on this, it's expectation that, you know, it, it just it I sometimes just feel blocked when I want to be the real the real, ever-evolving, changing me. It doesn't feel always safe to do that. It doesn't feel like I want to give myself in that way on there because people are so offendable. They're so, they feel so entitled to explanations for every way you change. And it's just, we don't owe anyone anything. And that's the thing is I, I don't, it sounds brutal and I know there's people who are like, yeah, but that's your online tribe. You do owe them. You do owe them. I don't believe that. I believe that I've been so generous online my whole life and I've been so generous with everything I've created, like the events, everything. So much of what I've created has been voluntary for me and a lot of people don't know that. So when it comes time in my life where I'm not feeling as as aligned and as well as as I want to be on social media, I'm not going to get on there just for the sake of just for the sake of maintaining an image or staying relevant or or pleasing people's idea of me or especially not being there because people think they need me because they don't. You know, for me to contribute on social media and express myself, it has to it has to feel good for me. I'm just I'm just so beyond the I'm just so beyond the I suppose the blind spots and the just, just, I don't know, just, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I think I'm just at that, a point in my life where, you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, fucking, I can't it's, even explain it. It's so it. interesting. Same. Like, you know, people who follow others on social media, one, they're not, it's, it doesn't cost anything to follow anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're investing, but they, but a lot of people act like if they don't get what they think they've come to get mm-hmm. from you, then you've betrayed them somehow. And then that gives them permission to say something. Yeah. And then it's this like, it's just, it's very bizarre when really it's just hopefully just a platform to express yourself. But then it becomes a place where people can just make quick, quick judgments because they decided to follow you. Mm. Yeah, there's like a there is a lack of appreciation for evolution and for change yeah. Yeah. on social media. So if your opinion does change, if you were to be one way and then you're another, it's like they deem you untrustworthy or they they think that you've you've gone mad or you know yeah. there's just like an ill an inability to believe that someone may have learned something and yeah. changed their opinion and have grown yeah. or evolved that like I just can't really mm-hmm. get down with. Yeah. And that affects how people then show up. So then people are now showing up to please that idea of who they are rather than actually just be who they are and and change and evolve and move on and, you know, and express different beliefs or change their mind about a belief. Or, you know, like I remember when I stopped being vegan, which my body gave me the direction to on no uncertain terms, tell me to start eating animal product again. After three years hardcore, vegan pregnancy, vegan breastfeeding, on no uncertain terms, my body told me that it needed animal food from the animal kingdom again and as soon as I shared a photo of a butterfly cupcake I got I thought you were a solid human Peter you just just disgust at me and just how much of a shit person I was and again the other thing with social media is that 
no one on there actually knows you. And that's the truth. Like, I think about how many people truly know everything about me and everything that goes on in my life and all of my struggles and, you know, all of the things that, that I've been through privately, like, that aren't aligned for me to share. Very few people know that. And yet we, we make comments and assumptions about people as if we do. And we follow their journey as if we do know everything about them. You know, I have people who comment things like, what would you know about not having any money, Peter? And I'm like, do you want me to tell you about the, the winters where we had no hot water and my mum had to boil water on the stove and pour it into our bath? I'm sorry I didn't include that on my Instagram bio. You know, do you want me to tell you the stories about my mum sitting up at night wondering if we're going to lose the house? Like, you know, it's, do you want to see photos of me working my $5 an hour job? Like it's, but people comment like that. And it's just like, sure, we can just be like, you know, you know, the, the age old, like, quote that we get from mentors everywhere is fuck the haters they're just blinded by your light and all that stuff but but part of it's like yeah that's great but I'm just at a point in my life where I'm like I don't I don't need to prove anything to anyone and for so long I felt like I did like I've been there I'm not saying this as someone who's like holier than thou I've just been there I've been through the trying to impress trying to maintain you know making things because I could I've just been there and I just now I look at my daughter and I'm just like you know it just snaps it just snapped me and it's just snapped me into a perspective that's just like I don't know and and yeah, so it's, there's so much to it with social media. And it's it's not about, sure, Instagram can like take the like count off and Instagram can change all these things, but it's ultimately about us taking responsibility for our life, our nervous system, our relationship with social media and our phones, where we're looking for approval, where we're hiding. Like it's about us taking responsibility. And that's why I had to turn social media off for a while because I needed to go through that process in a way that was private and not giving people a bit, blow by blows, you know, because it's, yeah, it's just, but, but again, it's such a powerful thing and we've got to acknowledge how, how brilliant it is for people, bringing people together. It's just that we as individuals have to get a grip on it and we have to not think that, yeah, we may have escaped the nine to five or the matrix or whatever you want to call it, but there's very much still one. And even in the personal development world, a system and a cycle that you can subscribe to, and can keep you from your highest well-being. And for me, if I could like just have one message for everyone on social media, it would be, I'm not your coach. I'm not giving you advice. It doesn't mean that's not in a loving way, but everybody needs to be able to discern for themselves. And that's just, that's my belief with everything. You can't stumble across something and take such personal offense to it when it's, when, if you truly believe in freedom of speech, you know, we, it's yeah. we have to take the responsibility of discerning. Is this true for me? Is this person speaking about something that's relevant for me? Is this in alignment for me? Do I believe in this? Rather than expecting everybody to change their view to please where we are at in our life. And that's where it just got really tiring for me and why I'm just, I'll get on when I want to get on and I'll get off when I want to get off. But I'm not, it's not currently aligned for me to give people blow by blows of my life or to share things that I feel are, are not appropriate anymore. Mm. Can we talk about the personal development world? Like <laughs> some of the stuff within it yeah. that, you know, you're mentioning, cause we definitely see it in LA and mm. it's California consciousness. My brother calls it. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> it's, and, and I'm not even talking down on it. It's just very, 
It's Hollywood. It's very interesting. It's Hollywood. Yeah. There's a lot of layers. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think we've all been there in the try hard, the try hard stage of it where you do the things that look spiritual and you do the things that sound spiritual. And, you know, a lot of the time, the most spiritual conscious thing we can do is just be a fucking human being, you know? And I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there is a dependence, like we were speaking about before, there's a dependence on plant medicines now, which is, you know, sometimes quite unhealthy. Like as a tool, and I don't, I don't really want to get into plant medicines, but as a tool and as a medicine, sure, I think everybody understands its benefits. But then as with anything, all these things become dogmatic and they all become another clutch and they all become something to hide behind and something to, I suppose, sometimes used as an excuse Mm -hmm. by why we're not addressing our real human shit. And my experience last year, which is why I separated myself from all forms of plant medicine, including cacao, is because I was noticing that even I had someone suggest that cacao wrote my fucking book for me. Like, and that really hurt because I was like, this person was close to me and they, they, they saw that even with pregnant with a newborn, me sitting at this computer and typing out this book, which was 800 pages and I got down to 400 pages and I wrote the whole thing. There was no ghostwriter situation in the personal development world like when you buy your own book and become a bestseller and all that bullshit. This was straight up labor, self-publishing, every dollar by me, everything came from my body. And, And then for them to say that Cacao wrote my book for me, that was the point where I was like, hold on a minute, like, hold on a minute. Like, is this a tool or is this something that we need to get into our heart? We need to create, we need, like, we need, like, can we not get into our heart in the morning while we look outside at the the sky? Like, can we not get into our heart by thinking of our our children and our mom or having a piece of fucking Vegemite toast? Like, I can get into my heart having Vegemite and avocado toast because of the nostalgia of that for me. And there started to become this dependence around me about, looking around me and people who were suggesting like, this person needs to have a cacao ceremony, this person needs to have a cacao ceremony. And I was like, why? Because they're not saying spiritual things. And I was looking around me and I was seeing such such beautiful heart-centered, generous person, my husband included, behave in certain situations, business situations, which were the most heart-centered, generous, compassionate behavior. And then other people who were more spiritual, I suppose, suggest that these less spiritual people needed to get on their level. And I started to notice these little things and feel such, just such a sickness in my body for just so many, I mean, and such a defensiveness too, because there's so many people in my life who, especially in business, who who don't consider themselves spiritual in any way, conscious in any way, but they are like my greatest teachers and such compassionate, heart-centered humans. And I'm looking at them and they're not trying to be teachers in any way. They're not trying to be anyone in any way. And yet they are. And then there were people that I was listening to more who weren't behaving with the same sense of, basic respect and compassion and acceptance of of people who weren't like them. And so I started to personally experience 
how much some some parts of this spiritual world had had got a grip of people and consumed them into making them feel holier than thou or, you know, on another level and just waiting for other people to catch up. And this judgment and this just, so I, I kind of just had to separate myself from all of it and just be like, fuck, like just just ground myself in in life and ask myself like, where have I been where have I been hiding? Where have I been thinking that I've been on a high horse? Where have I been the consciousness police, as I talk about in my book? Like, where have I been that person? And again, everything I talk about is shit that I've personally addressed in myself. It's not having a go at others, but I've personally, I really humbled myself last year in a way that was just probably the most like beautiful and private transformation I've ever done. But I really humbled myself and took myself off any any high horse I could have been on and got into my body and and just realized a lot of shit that I hadn't seen for a long time. And so I don't have any problem with other people being where they're at. It's just that I am not buying it or buying into it. Yeah, there's a few people I follow online and, and you're seeing that transformation for you was one of the most inspirational things for no. me. Because it's such a mirror. I mean, that is, and I just always think about you in that way that you are the true spiritual like example for me. And I think for a lot others, just because it's beyond the routines, it's beyond the practices, it's Mm. beyond the healings, it's beyond what everyone else is doing. And it's just such a reflection of your own personal work and your ability to pivot and your ability to prioritize and your ability to be heart centered. It's just, it's Mm. the greatest, you know, it's the best, it's the best to see. And you really walk the walk and talk the talk. And it's what I love about you. One of the reasons I love you. Thank you. I love you both too. Yeah. What makes you, what makes you laugh about shit (sighs) that like you, you've done and like are now, not that you shit on it. It's just like, <laughs> wow, this is really funny because I think oh, we- Oh, just so much shit. We get so serious when it comes to doing all this stuff. Just like not watching TV. Oh. I fucking love watching TV. I watch it every <laughs> night. But I used to not because like, oh, I'll get coded by the ads. And just just shit. I used to like, I used to be That's in me. Pilates. I remember, and it's funny. I remember being in Pilates one day. I'd go, shit you not. And being on the reformer machine and being like, I wonder if that lady in front of me drinks still water or, or sparkling water. I reckon I could use my intuition to figure it out. <laughs> just like, I just used to like, <laughs> I remember standing in the shower once and then looking down and being like, I wonder if the more enlightened I get, the more my pubes will grow. <laughs> like, I just used to think that, but I, I'd piss myself at it. The road, yeah, I was yeah. like, holy shit, I need to put this in my stand up. But I just think back to like more that, I mean, they're funny fucking versions of it, but I just think to more like, like when I went vegan and my husband, like straight after my husband, we were out with his friends on his friend's 30th birthday trip and these two all-American guys and here's me, this like this high horse vegan. My husband ordered lamb meatballs or something and I didn't talk, I didn't talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset and just sold my high horse. And when anyone would ever ask me anything about it, like I would just, 
uh, just the way I thought I was just the fucking king shit because I didn't eat animals. And the way I spoke to them, were like, as if they were just going to catch up to me and they were going to get on my wave. And these people were like probably vibrating like solid 750, you know, like flying high mm-hmm. and not needing any dogma, any rules around eating, nothing at all to live there. And here's me like this like spiritually little bit immature. Well, you know, you, <laughs> you know, you can't be really high vibe if you've got animals in your body. And I used to say shit like, well, <laughs> of course I'm going to have a vegan pregnancy. I'm not going to share my, my – I'm not going to have my baby share my abdomen with dead corpse animals. Like I just used to say things like that. But then other thing too, like my my brother used to tease me about because I used to get really protective of cacao. Like you saw mm. me. I was such I a remember, voice for it. And I so, remember you talking about it. So supportive of it. Well, can and you tell what it is? Cacao is is the most natural form of chocolate. And I've been into cacao literally since I was a kid. And mo- like in the last few years, really, really helped to just, you know, just really been a voice for it. And, and people come to me, still ask me where to get it and I'll tell them. I'm, I'm not anti-cacao or anything. I just evolved my relationship with it and changed it to better suit my well-being. But so there's no like just, you know, that's just the way it is. But my brother used, my brother is fucking hilarious. And if you like he gets on one, and this is like Aussie bloke, he gets on one about the personal development world. He is just like, oh, these fucking light workers are like, he's just he's hilarious. But he <laughs> he used to say to me, oh Pete, well, what's the difference between cacao? And chocolate milk that you get in the supermarket, like you just shake it. And, and I'd be like, don't talk to me, Ben. And I would get so much hurt about it. And what's the difference? And I'm just going to have my chocolate too. And now I'd be like rolling around on the floor laughing because I don't have a carrot up my ass anymore. But before I was like, how could you, Ben? You just don't understand. Like always just thinking that I knew and others didn't know. And it just wasn't the case. So when I went through my evolution, which evolved me like literally walking through fire, and that's what it felt like, walking through fire, walking through fire, walking through fire. And while I was a mom, while I was breastfeeding, like it was the most intense period of my life. Like weight just dropped off me because I had given everything I had to this process. And I got through and I was like, I just felt like the most humble, grounded person ever. And I could start talking about my love of comedy and like who I really fucking was beyond all of that. And, you know, and it's funny because now I'm just like, my family laughs at me because I'm like, what do you want to watch tonight? Like, I'm just, mm. I'm just like, <laughs> you guys feeling fried chicken tonight? You know, it's just like, <laughs> and they're all just, and I think, I don't know, it's just, it's just shedding the layers, shedding the layers. But then I still see healers. I still do work on my DNA. I still, oh, you name it, I do it, but I don't, do I meditate every morning? No, I have a toddler waiting at my face every day. I get into bed and cuddle her and that's that's my ceremony most days. Yeah. I'll meditate if I can, but it's not it's not a priority for me. And again, it's it's not that I don't value it. I meditated daily for my whole 20s, but I, I kind of feel like I'm in a period where I'm recovering from my 20s. I'm recovering from from building what I built, you know, financially and in terms of just what I gave and me being in my body, I know what I gave in my 20s and, you know, I know what what sacrifice that was for me and in so many ways that people will never understand and, and now I feel like I'm giving it all back to myself and I'm so clear on what self-love means to me now and what what I need and what I will and won't tolerate in, in friendships and relationships. And, you know, but, 
but it did take a real humbling and one that is the greatest thing I've ever done. And to just, it's one thing to talk about compassion and non-judgment. It's another thing to actually live it and to just, to really embrace the bothness that we are, you know, yeah, I can talk about fucking anything spiritually. You know what I mean? Like come at me with your most woo-woo stuff and I'll meet you there. But my favorite thing to do is watch Ricky Gervais' Humanity or Ricky Gervais' Afterlife. And his filthiest lines are my favorite lines. And that's me. And so that's where I'm at in my life now. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's the best. It's just, it's just the best. But it didn't, I didn't get there through uh, a retreat or a six-week course. I got there through walking through the fucking fire and getting really honest about myself. How many coaching calls though? (laughs) (laughs) It was discovery call first. (laughs) But you had the webinar first, the free one. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And then you had the discovery. Is that how the funnel works? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shoot. I know. And it's again, it's like, it's no, it's taking no stab at anyone where they're at. Like it really fucking isn't. It's not, it's like, everyone's going to do their thing where they're at. It's just, People just, I feel, and I can only speak for me. I just, I just needed to diffuse the charge that was in my body of trying to maintain this, this idea of like what it was to be me and what it was to be conscious and what it was to care about the world. Because, you know, I'm, I'm of so much more value to the world exactly who I am. And, yes. and like I said, those people on social media who follow me, I so appreciate like their loyalty and everything. But most of them don't know. Like when you hang, like my friends from school hang out with me. Like we just, I'm Australian. Like I talk so much shit and that's where I like to be. And I like watching British game shows. And like, I'm so nerdy that it uh, it astounds people. Like I can look at someone's passport number and I'll remember a year later. Like I just have, I'm just so weird and so different than people think by my social media. And for me to just be like, I don't fucking care anymore. Like, and then I'll rev up about birth, which I'm passionate about. And then I'll rev up about comedy. And I just, I don't, I don't fit into any box anymore. I'm not in the personal development world. I'm not an author. I'm not a business person. I'm just a human and I'll do whatever I'm called to do. And I might not do it forever. That's just where I'm at. Boom. That's a good one. You know, you, you articulate in such a way that you're saying things that people don't know they're experiencing or feeling, but they are, you know, and it's Mm. really scared or scary, I think, for a lot of people to make that realization and then actually be themselves and like maybe not do what they're doing or do anything. Like, you know, that, like that, that, that place of, I wouldn't even say not, it's not purgatory, but it's that feeling of kind of just being I mm-hmm. think scares a lot of people because moving forward or yeah. in the direction yeah. of where they should be is what we sh- should be doing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a scary thing. But I'm so glad. I mean, to articulate it in that way, I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, "Oh wow, okay." I know. That's kind of what yeah. I'm feeling. The ego stuff with the the motherhood really like gives me great pause. You know, we talked about that mm-hmm. a little bit at lunch, but mm-hmm. I. I haven't had the ability to articulate it in that way. You know, a lot of the reason why I probably haven't had a child is because I have so much ego around the person that I am now. Yeah. And like the person that I've worked so hard to become. But is that perception or is that me? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, my soul 
desires to be seen, which I, which mm-hmm. I do, which mm-hmm. I enjoy, which I love. But I also do have a fear of it all going away if I yeah. was to commit myself or devote myself to motherhood. Yeah. And, you know, the delicacy of that, you know, the delicacy, the delicacy of this life that I have, if it, I was to switch and pivot to motherhood mm-hmm. is apparent and that really scares me. Yeah. You know, so, and it took yeah. me even a long time too to like fully, you know, Jess and I have been together for six years and I've been, I mean, a hundred percent committed since the first time I laid eyes on him, but, and, and still to this day, but even committing myself fully was a, a hard process for me, my soul fully to like un to open up and to fully be and to fully be mm-hmm. present and to mm-hmm. fully be seen in the bad and the good was, was a learning process for me too, because it was almost like a letting, it was another ego mm-hmm. shift, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, of a person I had before, which was independent. I, I make the rules. I do yeah. this. You know what I mean? It's like a yeah. death. Yeah, exactly. And I think with motherhood, like a lot of people think it's either or like, a lot of people say, well, we shouldn't give up our identity. And I, there's nothing in me that thinks that women should be so self-sacrificing that they don't ca- take care of their desires when they have a, a kid. Like, you know, we, I will have help when I just want to go and be on my own. Like I will always carve that out for myself. It's, I think it's more that our identity will change. It will just change. And I think even without a kid, our identity will change. Like even if I didn't have soul, I'm fairly sure that who I was three years ago would really have changed by now. So I think motherhood gives us a greater opportunity to do that. So I don't at all think it's about losing ourselves. I think it's about allowing ourselves to evolve because we do, we're, we're expanded. Like our womb is never the same once once we give birth to a child or once we carry a child, it's never the same. We, I felt like I've been creatively like hotter and stronger my desires a lot of yeah and you do you're turned on in a new way so it's not about shutting all that off it's just about as individuals like I said some mums take their kid and their career absolutely explodes when their kid's six months old there's nothing wrong with that like it's just about being in alignment with our center for me I had work to do that for me to maintain both things at the same time sure I could do it and I did for a while but it just started to wear on me and and my soul just started to to tell me like, you know, to I suppose it was part of my humbling too, to, to see whether I was willing to to set it aside and to be in this work. But even while I have done it, there's work all around me. Like I'm doing this event with you tomorrow. It feels so natural and such an extension of my life. It's just nothing's forced. So now I'm in this place of I will do whatever I'm called to do, but nothing else. So there's no obligation. There's no sense of staying committed to things I was committed to two years ago. It's that, you know, you know, I'm committed to being a mum. I'm not committed to pleasing all these people outside my home. Um, I'm committed to to myself. I'm committed to my family. I'm committed to, you know, the work I'm doing in the moment, the community I'm serving in the moment, of course. But I'm going to let it change. I'm going to let it move. I'm going to let it evolve. And so I think, you know, I don't feel any less myself um, that I've allowed myself to immerse in motherhood. I feel I feel more myself, and I feel more I feel more open and flexible to the to opportunities and everything like that. But before I was working when I didn't need to because I couldn't get out of that pattern. Now I'm working when I'm yearning to work, and 
that that's just such a difference in that. And then my conversations with Soul, she knows, mummy work, have fun, mummy. Like it's so natural. Like I'm, my, I told her this day, I'm going off to record podcasts with my friends. Have fun, mum. Like it's just, Aww. it's so natural. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, I'm going to go work because I think I have to, because I'm so significant, because people need me more than my child. It's getting out of that. And if that means you still have a super active creative life or you're still working, whatever it was, then that's great. You know, I'm just for, so I think, you know, as for you, Chris, I know as you get closer to that time, it will just, it will just be there and you'll just know, you'll just know what to, and you may find that your work outside expands the less you actually touch it almost. Mm -hmm. I feel like the more we, we do get into alignment in the private, private places. Everything else just rearranges itself. And it's like my favorite thing I say to myself now is like my brilliance emerges from my rest. And I wouldn't say motherhood is a rest by any means, but from my my brilliance emerges from my my pause essentially and from my trust in in knowing that. I'm never going to stop creating things for the world outside. Like Sol didn't choose a mum and I don't have that in me. I I love making things. I love writing books. I love, you know, speaking. I love doing that. However, there's just an integrity to when and how. And I think that we're all offered the opportunity to explore that when the time comes and you'll just do it. You'll just do it in whatever mm-hmm. way is aligned for you and it may look completely different for me and that's just so fine, you know. Mm. The private places, like the alignment happens in the mm. private places is like so fucking on point. Because mm. that's the thing, mm. you know, in tying it back to social media a little bit is like when people are going through that healing or the transformation or the personal work or the development, there is like, a, you know, there is a time and a space to share that and have that be a part of like a conversation because mm. it's inspiring and it's beautiful to see people heal and transform and honoring that like a beautiful process as humans. Yeah, yeah. But then again, too, you know, there is the the specialness mm-hmm. of keeping it to you mm-hmm. and knowing that no matter what, anyone seeing this, anyone doing this, mm-hmm. anyone supporting this, anyone having thoughts around this, I'm doing this for you, which is yourself, is like. Mm. That's self-love in a nutshell, really, isn't that's it? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's you can do the bubble baths and you can do the cucumber eye masks and you can set boundaries and all that other stuff that goes along with self-love, but it's. It's giving yourself what you know you really need, what what you really, really need. And that's, it's easy to be like, no, I don't need that. It's too hard or I don't Mm. need that. No one can see it. You know, I don't need that. It's not very significant or big or, you know, but it's, we're going to get forced there sometime. Yeah. You know, and I find that it's, you know, it just, when we're there, everything reshuffles around it's the only place we can truly live where we're meant to live is from that place of like where our alignment privately is on point like if you think about it how else does our life how else will our life thrive as it's meant to thrive unless we're in that unless our private alignment is on point like it it can't it's the only way the, the puzzle works it's like when you talk about human design it's the only way the puzzle fits together is if we take care of our of our piece of it and the trust part of it was really interesting like just being able to trust so that everything can expand and not suffocating Mm -hmm. what you are focusing on with the expectations of it Mm -hmm. I'd love to I'd love 
for you to talk about the trust that you had during, you know, your birthing process. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much dogma around that. So many like do's and don'ts and opinions. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine I've never given birth, but I can imagine that like the opinions flooding in as you're preparing to give birth to a human being is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So could you describe that? that trust process and how you were just super like in your body and knowing exactly what you needed. Yeah. I mean, I was really lucky that my mom, my mom gave birth in hospital to, so she didn't have home birth like me, which is, you know, fine. Totally. I don't want people to think that I'm like home birth or die, Um, (laughs) which some people think the other way around Mm -hmm. hospital or die. Mm -hmm. But she always just told me, you know, it is a miracle, Peter. And she always just focused on, the fact that you giving birth to a child and she, so I always was really excited to be in labor. Like literally I was. And I, I knew I was going to have a home birth as soon as I got pregnant. And a lot of people were like, well, why? It's your first one. Why wouldn't you go to the hospital for your first one just in case? And I was like, for me, I just felt like, what do you mean just in case? Like if, if I don't have any complications and, and my body is doing what it's meant to do, why wouldn't I trust my body to birth without being in a hospital? It just, for me, I felt safest birthing at home. I felt like it was the safest, most like most appropriate and most aligned option. And for many people, that was bizarre. And when I called my midwife, Jo, who had four home births as well, and she'd been doing it for a long time, she said, I love, you know, I love that you're, you're birthing at home for your first one, you know, and she really dug into like my birth stories because she was so curious because it's a lot of people will go, um, a lot of people who do arrive at a home birth have do so because they've been so traumatized by their first or second birth. And for me, I was, I was not traumatized anyway. I was led there by trust in my body and trust in my baby and trust in, trust in nature, trust in my nature and trust that, that this is what we're built to do. And with all the fear around, we, I mean, there are so many more examples of birth going well, except that we look at all the examples of birth not going well. And I, the, the books I were reading were all about Amazon tribes and, and the, the ancient, um, like Aboriginal, like how they birth. And that's what I was interested in because for me, there's no, there's nothing closer to nature than those people. And so for me, it, that was what I was plugging into. But, you know, when I, even when I got pregnant with Seoul and, you know, I was in America at the time and I didn't have a doctor there. So I'd call all these people and I was like, what do I do? And about seven people who I called were like, well, call us after you miss your second period. And because most people will not survive the, preg- the you know, they won't continue the pregnancy till then. And it was, and I was shocked at how many people didn't say congratulations to me. And here I am oh. pregnant first time, so excited and I just was getting bombarded with fear, 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 fear. And then somebody actually worked for me who, who we're talking about today. I told her because I was like, oh, I might be tired, better tell her. And she said to me, that's good, Peter, but don't tell anyone because, you know, one in three result in miscarriage. And it just seemed everyone around me, apart from my husband and my family, but everyone around me was saying that. And, and I knew that 
miscarriage was a probability. I watched my mum miscarry twins when I was little. I, it, I had friends around me miscarry. It wasn't that I didn't know that. It was that why would we spend more energy on that than on congratulations and are you excited? Like we all know the possibilities. We all know that when we go into a home birth, there's a chance we could need to go to hospital. We all know that mother nature is the boss here. In all of pregnancy, in all of birth, in, in everything, we all know that God, Mother Nature, we all know there's a higher birth at play. But for us as the human, we have so much choice for where we focus and what we concentrate on. And so when I called one of my mentors that after that, he was, I said, I'm pregnant. And he was like, well, that's fucking awesome. Like, and how do you feel? And I said, I'm excited, but, and then this fearful story came out, but I'm scared that what if I miscarry? All these people are telling me that I'm going to miscarry. And he was like, well, that didn't used to be your story. And that's when I started scripting and I started to write, consciously write what my story was. I'm, my baby is thriving. And, and that's not something naive as if you think everything's going to be perfect all the time. Like, again, every pregnant woman knows, is very aware of the fact that anything could happen and that you are at the mercy of this baby either wanting to stay or not. You know, you're you are at the mercy. It's the most vulnerable time of your life, especially that first 12 weeks, you know? And it's not about not being aware of that. And even as if you choose a home birth, when I chose a home birth, it, I wrote a transfer plan in case something did happen and I needed to go to the hospital. I was prepared for that. And my midwife was, she had, you know, made the call to take people, put a hospital before, but it wasn't my expectation. It wasn't my focus. My focus was on having a happy, healthy pregnancy, having a a birth at home and trusting my body to do what it was here to do. And if something else happened, then that was what was meant to happen. But I wasn't going get, to get to my birth and not have put in the effort I could have put in to let my baby and my body know that I trusted it. So I wasn't Sure, God has a plan, but I wasn't going to not do my work because of that. So I read my script every single day and talk about scripting my book, but I read it every single day. I wrote letters to Soul. I had affirmations around the house where she was born. I, you know, there was a lot of things I did to prepare. And then as her birth got closer, we, Eric and I read out her birth story to her in the womb. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a birth story. This is how your birth's going to go. But it was like, it was a story that was basically letting, basically letting her know and me as her mom letting her know that I trust us in this birth and I don't know what it's going to feel like. I've never done it before, and but I trust you, the baby, and I trust myself as your mom and I trust Mother Nature and I trust our birth team and I have so much trust. And, and I had that trust still with the knowing that I could, there could have been a different plan for me. So- you can be aware and not be super fearful. And that's where I chose to be. And so as the birth got closer, people would say, there's people around me. I was walking in Bondi and that's a pretty like liberal place to live. But they were like, which hospital are you giving birth in? And I was like, I'm giving birth at home. And, and this waitress said, don't be so sure. And I almost punched in the face. I was like, don't uh-huh. be bringing your fearful shit up in my face when I'm like two weeks out from giving birth. You're like, give me a second basket of, basket of bread, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> yeah. I hope you give me those sweet potato fries for free. Um, but it was just, you know, like I said, and I remember the night before labor started, I lost my mucus plug, which is probably too much information, but that usually happens just before the baby no idea. Mm. labor begins. And I remember lying in bed, 
knowing it was going to kick off tomorrow. My midwife was like, go to bed. It'll probably kick off tomorrow. I knew it. And so I lied there and every fear ran through my head, every single one, you know, and it ran through because I could tell my body was like, get this shit out. And I'd already done a lot of work on it. It was like, get this shit out because tomorrow I need you, I need you in all of your trust. Uh, mm. And so when labor kicked off, I was at home. Eric and I were watching Wimbledon and I was commentating on the outfits. I got down for my 60-second contraction. I got up and I was talking, got down for my 60-second contraction. It was it was a natural, beautiful thing. And then my midwife came and um, she was, we were laughing and joking about things and then I would have a contraction and no more laughing. And then she was like, you know, you just, how are the contractions? Like she couldn't, she couldn't put her finger on it because I was, they were fucking intense, but I was so enjoying the space in between that I wasn't really, I suppose I wasn't really showing how intense they were. And I was in labor and she was like, you probably have a sleep because it doesn't feel like you're in labor. And then within about 10 minutes, I was on all fours, just like nobody talked to me. And in it, just so in it. And Eric was rubbing my back. And I remember at one point he said, you're doing so well, honey. And I said, shh, I didn't want any. (laughs) I was so in it with soul. I had the affirmations on the wall. And I really feel like I trained emotionally and spiritually and Mm. physically for it. Like I had put so much intention and so much thought and practice and and thought about it and and set and 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 given my instruction and my gratitude to my body every day for what it was about to do, that it felt like, of course, it, it felt like, of course it went like that. That's how it felt for me. And I was so in it and it was so intense. You can't even explain how intense birth is. It was. And, you know, and then and then motherhood begins. Like, you know, it's, it, and then the real challenges begin when you're drowning in milk and you get mastitis and all that fun stuff. But again, I'm saying that knowing that, Anything could have happened. I could have been meant to have learned a lesson. I had to get rushed to hospital and had a C-section. And and I honor, I so honor and feel for women who they do have the plan to give birth at home and and they don't get that and they never get it. And they 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 feel an element of either being let down or feeling upset or disappointed or in some cases traumatized. And I so feel for them. And I I listen to these stories all the time. I'm always listening to birth podcasts. I'm super aware of everything, but but why wouldn't I, as as someone who's about to go into this really intense thing, spend the time, you know, making sure my focus and my my focus and my I suppose my instruction was on what I really most desired, and then let it all go from there because I, I've done everything I can. If I'm meant to be taken to hospital, if I, if if something is meant to happen that shatters my world then it's going to happen, but it's not going to stop me from doing the work to, to have the best experience I can have. Um, so it's border, it's, it's being trusting and aware. And I think some people hold on to fear because it makes, it, it makes them feel like they care more, but, but you don't, you're not, you're not paying attention to the risks, Peter. You're not paying attention to this. That's just so not true. It's that I, I know that there are so many factors at play, but our, our choice is also a big one. And I think it's, we just got to take responsibility for the fact that a lot of it is up to us, you know. Mm. What are you scripting now? Um, a little bit of break from my script, to be honest. When I went through all that, I mean, I basically, sure. okay, basically don't laugh, but my latest script is um, 
that I'm going to do some comedy with Ricky Gervais. There we go. That's <laughs> and we see I him mean, like you do, every day yeah, in Hampstead. Like you live next door. Yeah. Even if he didn't, happen. that would be like, okay. <laughs> no, no, but just like I I just, yeah. I mean, I I feel like I'm in a stage of my life where I'm I'm just ready to to just try new things and expand my world and try different spices and flavors. And But the bottom underlying thing in my script all the time is that I'm just living a fulfilled and peaceful life. That that literally is, if I could just repeat one thing over again, I'm in perfect health. My family's in perfect health. I have a, a thriving community and friendships and I'm living a, a fulfilled and peaceful life. And whatever that, whatever that looks like, that, that really is, it really is like all I am asking for. And then I'm open to whatever, wherever else I'm meant to go and what I'm meant to do. And if that's, I'm, I am actually excited to not try and know what it is because who knows? I say to Eric all the time, like, Fuck, what if I'm meant to like go back and become a chiropractor? I love getting adjusted. Like, what if I'm meant? I'm just so open <laughs> right now and so not, that. you know, like I've got children's book coming. I've got all these other random things. Like I just, I don't know. I'm just not holding on to anything except, you know, my one constant obviously is making sure I'm creating but being be really making sure the happiest place in my life is in my home and not trying to make it everything else, you know. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, honey. We oh, love you so much. We love you. Oh, I love you Can't too. Can't in London, Peter. I know. I know. We're going to do an event tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I love you both so much. Thank you for having me Thank again. You. I know. It feels so good. It feels so special to be on twice. I know. Last I feel like time I get like a bath, spiritual time, bath. Yeah. No, last time we recorded, I think I was on – my own at home is so and she uh-huh. was crying upstairs yeah. now. Yeah. every Sweet. two minutes I was like hold on a minute yeah <laughs> literally love her we love had the best time uh, in need <laughs> <laughs> and you're in Australia yeah I was in Australia yeah. then living in mm-hmm. London now who knows where's next yeah, that's I guess the other thing it's like uh, my last little question is just like you know you you were talking about your move and where you are now mm-hmm. and and I think sometimes people get so shaken up by a move or so shaken yeah. up by the fact that their life has changed and they weren't ready for it or they don't have roots or they don't yeah. have friends. Yeah. Like, yeah. can you just kind of articulate where you're at with that? Oh, yeah. So we, oh my God. Um, so I moved to America in 2015. My husband's American and we that's been our base, but we've been in Australia a lot the last four years. And we just got to a point where the, the logistics of our life were, it was quite, just quite tiring. So where my husband's got a lot lot of work to do in London. So we're here now and we're not sure how long for, but, and because I'm such a uh, future person, I think Same. I'm just, I'm always, I'm always yearning for Australia. And I think right now, because I'm 30, I'm back in my root chakra. I'm, I'm, I'm craving those roots again. Um, but also practicing just, just knowing that I'm here for a reason. I have for Ricky. Yeah, I'm here for Ricky. Ricky needs me. (laughs) But, um, you know, I have things to give here and I have things to receive here. I know that. So I'm here. I'm I'm enjoying it. And, you know, a part of me always wants to go home. I just, I've got a nephew in Perth and he's growing really quickly. And, you know, I crave being near my family and having that natural support that I, I don't have living away all the time, especially with a kid. Like there's something about a village where, yes. yeah, I can have a nanny help me when I need one, but it's not the same. And this is why I really limit the amount of time I do allow a nanny over. And I do I do actually, I'm really mindful not to have like 
too much help because it does, it, it, as weird as it sounds, I don't know, it, I, I, I yearn for the natural village. I yearn to be close to my family and friends where I can drop my kid off and I can also have all the kids over for sleepovers at my house. Like that's what I'm yearning for. And, and we may end up back there. I'm not sure. Like we're, we're very much just trusting and seeing where we're going to. But this is the, really the third international move I've done in the last four or five years. And I've just learned to, to again, give to the community here what whatever I can and make great friends and, and realize it's part of the adventure and, and be as grounding as I can. Like with Sol, we have the same – we she's so grounded even though she's been everywhere the same bedtime routine the same we have the same toys everywhere we we facetime our family the same time like for her she's she's really super grounded the same sense around the same music and you know so for for us it's just about being where we are and not trying not to be more in the yearning than i am in just the the being here and and to realize i'm yearning for a village maybe because i'm I need to learn how to build one, a real life one that's not not so much online. But like my neighbor is making me raspberry chocolate chip muffins this afternoon oh. and I'm like, please drop your kid off at my house whenever you want because I'm, I want that to be able to contribute to a village in that way. And for me in London, I got here and I was like, I'm going to start these events. And, and so many people responded that they wanted to come that it almost felt like how am I meant to build a village if it's like 200 people I started to feel like I, I feel like I need to build a village as if it was like 1950. That's my lesson here. Sure, I could build one online and I probably will do a couple of events here because I feel like it's part of my service to this to this community um, and also part of my receiving from this community. But but I do feel like part of getting out of my comfort zone is is going up to the neighbor and being like, I baked these for you. Mm. And, you know, we drop letters in each other's door. Like that's how it works here in London. And you know, just, I don't know. Just, what do the letters say? Just like, do you want to have barbecue? Like things like oh, that. I love that. And by Ed, he's like 95 years old on our street. He's like, he's so cute. And he's just and he drop some panties. Drop <laughs> some panties for Ed. Oh, he's so, he's so fucking cute. And I write him back a note. I'm like, well, I got myself like a little note set because I was like, if this is how we're going to communicate, I'm going to prepare myself. So I drop him notes. But, uh, you know, old school DMs. Yeah, I was like, I'm sliding in your door, Ed. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I don't know. I think, you know, it's, I, love that. I think I'm so used to it now, but, you know, we just, we've just got to be where we are and trust that if we're meant to move, we're going to move. And that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm always looking on like realestate.com.au, like my hometown every day. I look really? at it, but, but I'm also committed to, giving our time here, whatever it is, could be two years, could be five, could be whatever, to giving it, giving myself to it um, and just trusting that I'm going to be mm-hmm. wherever I'm meant to be. and you Make know. the most of what's around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be present. Be present. Make the most of what's around. <laughs> All uh, that to say, <laughs> like I'm present. <laughs> Where can um, people connect with you? Um, if you, if if you're on social media, if you have, do you have yeah, a note? leave a note or the dog park, or <laughs> you can put a note in my door. I'm no, just kidding. Um, in your book, yeah, my book, my book feels so old now. It really does. I know it's, it's not that old, but it feels old, like I'm about to. My do sister's a read it three times. Hey man, Aww. call me old fashioned, but I, I love it. when people actually write their book. 
Yeah. Call, <laughs> call me old fashioned, but it's oh, one God. of my favorite things. I met up with a girl recently and she was like, who wrote your book? I was like, what? what? I wrote my book. What do you mean who wrote my book? Wow. And she was like, I'm thinking of getting someone to write a book. I said, no, no, wait a minute. Can you write? She, of course I can write. I said, well, then you're going to write your book. Like, you do not need someone else to write your Thank book. You. Like, you're the only one who can write your book. And she was like, everyone someone in the personal development yeah. world does it. I was like, not everyone. I was like, there is no way I would have let anyone else write my book but me. Like, do you see? Like, That's outcome driven, not process driven. Exactly. You want the outcome of what? There should being on the New York Times bestseller, then which you is don't, all bullshit anyway. That whole system is bullshit. Is. There should be a rule that you should just say that you didn't write your book, but you are the one maybe filtering the information. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Sh- yeah. just because it is, how I is think, that a not bit illegal? A crime. <laughs> no, but it is. It, it is. But I know there's some people who genuinely like maybe can't write. That's why I asked the question. I was like, can you write? Like, are you just being lazy now? Like, and again, I'm trying. I was not trying to be judgmental, but yeah. I was just like, yeah. Please never ask me again if I wrote my own book because <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just ticked me. I was like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Yours is so very clearly you. But just, yeah, I'm not talking shit about it. It's just like, I think people yeah. need to know when they see things that it's not always what they seem. Yeah. Especially in that world. It's yeah. just so true. It's so true. Yeah. There's a lot of people preaching one thing and behind the scenes, they're just yeah. so rude to people mm-hmm. and so disrespectful to people. And, you know, we, we just never know the full picture. We have yeah. to just discern. We have to discern for ourselves. But anyway, I'm on Instagram. Sometimes I'll I'm jump Peter on, Jean. jump off, but I'm, that, that's where I'm at. And like I was telling you before, I think I might start a blog so I can talk about, you know, like. You should. My new stand-up. Literally. <laughs> truly. My dog. So you can practice it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, on my Instagram, I suppose that's where I am. I love Or at that. the dog park. Perfect. We love you. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thanks, Mommy. Thank you, Chicken Babes. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Peter Jean. Thank you, honey. <laughs> you are such a pleasure, and I'm so grateful to be in your orbit. Love you. Love you so much. Uh, announcements. So Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram. We would love to connect and DM with you whenever you'd like. And then we are on tour. And the tour has been such a beautiful experience for us, but also for our community to connect with some of the amazing speakers and guests that we've had on our show. And it's a great way to connect with other like-minded people in your community that are all about spirituality, wellness, entrepreneurship, all of the pillars that Almost 30 stands for. Yeah, uh, we have so many shows coming up in the fall, especially. I just wanted to highlight one in this part of the episode, Milana Snow in Chicago, September 17th at Evolve Her. This is going to be a group healing, a really deep, powerful conversation. As always, you'll connect with Kristen and I for you know whatever we're feeling that day. But Milana has been a staple on our tours and has really provided us some really powerful healing experiences. Yeah. Y'all going to cry. Going to cry. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh, so that is amazing in Chicago. And then there are other events like the one with Dr. Josh Axe in oh, Nashville. Yeah. Um, Columbus, Philadelphia, DC with Heidi Stevens, Miami, TBA. We have New York with Stuart Pierce, who is the voice medium angel expert. I am so excited I know. for this one. Like, free cash money. <laughs> and then if you are interested in human design, we have an event with Aaron Claire, mm-hmm. who is a human design expert. And then we also have a live show happening. And also if you are interested in starting a podcast and you live in the LA area or are visiting the LA area in August, we're having a full day intensive workshop 
lunch will be provided. And we have tons of downloadables and resources available for you to take home and use even before. But we will help you to narrow down your idea to get your podcast launched, uh, to give you advice, tips, tricks on launching, monetizing, and growing. And really giving you confidence too. I think so, so such a big part of the process is just gaining that confidence and embodying the podcaster, the creator, the content creator that you want to be. And you know, everyone is unique and we really want to emphasize that. We're not trying to make you like us or like any other podcaster. So we're very excited to share that with future podcasters and those that may have a podcast and want to up level. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. So we love you. Thank you so much for listening. Quick review on this side. Oh, thank you so much for writing those reviews and sharing on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. And you know, if you have benefited from this free content, uh, writing a review is such a kind way to send a note of thanks to Lindsay and I and the team. Yes. This one is from Valky Rai Ride. She's in Singapore expansive, empowering podcast, five stars. I don't listen to self-help podcasts, but Almost 30 changes my view. Not only do they bring us life through alternative lenses, it brings me empowerment. Thank you. Oh, thanks, honey. Singapore, shout out. Shout out. It's our newest ambassador group. So yes. there is a community of almost 30 listeners in Singapore and they are strong. Yeah, that's a fun thing. It's a good reminder when you're traveling. Yeah. Tap into the Almost 30 community. Yeah, I do. See what's that's up. the truth. All right. We'll see you later. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.